Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. We start every Sunday off by reading a psalm, so I'm going to do that first, and then we'll pray, and then we'll have the worship team with our special guest choir lead us in worship this morning. Super exciting. Um, This is the third Sunday of Advent. Um, This last week was love, and this week we'll be um, ushering in the spirit of joy along with the Holy Spirit. Psalm 126, starting at verse 1, and we'll take it all the way to verse 7. It says, A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said amongst the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negab. Those who sow sow in tears shall reap the shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. As we bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we just embrace such a sweet and tender gift as joy onto Sunday, Father God. Thank you for leaving something for us that when we do and do not understand what's going on, Father God, that you have knitted all things together for our good. And that one of the presents and the sweetness that you leave for us, Father God, is joy. God, today I rebuke any barriers that have us from experiencing joy. That includes guilt, shame, stubbornness, pride, Father God, self-indulgence, any of those things, Father God, sin that prevents us from experiencing your joy. I pray, Father God, that we leave today a family closer to you, Father God. I pray that today that we bow before you in your holiness, Father God. God, we pray for each person that is here, those that are on their way, Father God, those who may experience loneliness in this season, Father God. We pray and we welcome them here today at River City. We pray for Smyrna, Father God, and we thank you for just blessing us and keeping us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, God, we thank you 
for the hope in the midst of the dark, that in our darkness there has come a great light. And we thank you that that hope has given birth to the love of the world, which is Christ. And God, as we embody that love, we are moved to unspeakable joy to know that no matter our circumstances, no matter what we've come from, our weaknesses, our shortcomings, that we can have joy. So God, let even the most discouraged, the most despondent person today, let joy rise up out of hope and out of love. Let them feel the joy of the Lord in Jesus' name. And so this is the third week of Advent and our theme this week is joy. And so we're gonna look at that theme through the lens of original poetry by our lovely Paula. Praise the Lord. As I read this, take these words to heart for yourself as a prayer to the Lord. It's called, To the Lover of Who I Am. God's love has returned. God's love has returned. His joy does abound. After a drought, no rain. He now reigns. A shower. A shower of joy and blessings fall. I have again heard his call, a whisper not so faint, a call not so blatant. I heard, I hear, and I've answered. I'm running swiftly to respond. I must continually respond. Swiftly, I must respond. We need each other. He needs me, but I need him more. He wants me, and that means the world to me. I'm running swiftly to answer his call. I want him, and the feeling is mutual. God loves me after all. I'm worry free. I don't need to worry. I don't need to fret. I don't have a care in the world that he can't handle when I cannot. His love has been revisited, revived, and relived in me. It's the greatest love. There is no task so great that he cannot get me through. I have never on my own loved like this before. This is a love that I will cherish forever. He will never leave me. He will never grow tired of me. He will never curse me. He will never strike me. 
because he loves me. He teaches me patiently. He loves me with his eyes. He loves me with his touch. He touches my very core, my soul, my heart. There is no love like the love of my Father God. I love him and he loves me. All other love is an added benefit, but his love is the main event in my life. To the lover of my soul, the lover of me, thank you, Jesus. to invite the vaqueros up to lead us in our candle lighting. Good morning. Although we look outside through those windows, we see clouds, but it's a glorious day. Today is Gallaudet Sunday. It is the third Sunday of Advent in the liturgical calendar of the Western Church, including the Roman Catholic Church, Lutheran churches, and other mainline Protestant churches. It is the day we light three candles, including the pink candle on the Advent wreath. It can fall on any day from December 11th to December 17th. Gallaudet means rejoice. This reminds us of the joy that is to come and serves this season of penance as a kind of break where we recall the hope we have because of the coming of our Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those to the captives, and to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up from former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall know shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the people. All who see them shall acknowledge them. 
offspring of the Lord, the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and his bride adores herself with jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout, so the Lord will come righteously and praise to sprout up before all nations. We will watch and wait for Christ's coming during the Advent season. We light candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, remembering the promise of God with prayer and thanksgiving. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and we light one candle of hope, one in peace, and another one in joy. look at the screen and join in corporate prayer. God of hope, you call us home from the exile of selfish oppression to the freedom of justice, the bond of healing, and the joy of sharing. Make us strong to join you in your holy work as friends of strangers and givers, companions of those who others shun. So God, we thank you for this time to wait in hope and in love and in joy. We thank you that you have come and that you are coming again. We rejoice in you and in each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we step into what I'm going to be preaching from today, which is joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Say joy, joy. joy. All right. I want you guys to stand with me. You're all so happy that you had to do that. Calm down, people. Just a standing moment. All right. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pray together, one, about our space location that we're in the process of. As many of you know, by January 31st, we have to tell our landlord our intent of whether or not we'd like to re-up on our lease. And so we have been scouring Smyrna for our space and praying through our options. The reason you might ask why we're doing that is because our lease runs out and our kids' ministry is crammed into space that's not ours right now. We have to use the hallway, and our, our staff's doing a good job with that. But we know we have to make strategic decisions, so we're trying to figure it out. So I'm asking you guys, I don't have any great, brilliant info for you other than, will you continue to pray? Would you also recognize that in this process, that it's not just Josh and Sarah that need to make sure we figure this out? And that we need to rely on the leading of Jesus. And if we can't do that for things like this, then we probably shouldn't be doing this, right? Like, we need to rely on Jesus for how he would lead us. And so a big part of that as a body is to know that you have a seat at the table, right? And even if you're not a part of this church, wouldn't it be beautiful if God did that for our church? And we're not asking for um, the kind of material blessings that take the focus off of Jesus. We're asking for him to guide us into what our blessing is from him for this season, right? So if you wouldn't mind, just lock in to your neighbor in a... Love.
loving way, maybe grab their hand. If you're new and this is already awful and you hate it, you don't have to grab anybody's hand. You can grab your own hand. <laughs> Do this. Hold hands with yourself. Amen. So this, I don't know if you know this, but you're about to commit. For better or for worse. <laughs> till death do us part. That you want to see God lead us, right? Right. It's not just us. It's y'all too. It can't just be, what's the update this week? It's during Tuesday. We need you praying. We need you fasting. We need you looking around as you drive around. Oh, that's, we need you actually giving. Awkward. We do our best jobs to not overemphasize financial giving, but we need giving. I mean, that's, we all know that. We can't talk about that. That's goofy. So give and believe, right? Let's just believe God's going to do something great in the next month and a half and that we can be so pumped. I'm already pumped for whatever he does. Listen, if we're meeting under that tree, all of you will love that and no one will leave because <laughs> you're so humble. Yeah, you guys are great. So Father, we submit ourselves to you as living sacrifices, and in the process of searching for what you have for us, we remember the times you've already answered our prayers. We remember the times you haven't and given us what we need instead of what we ask. And those are some good seasons. Those are some of the best. So right now, we don't assume that we know exactly what's best for us because we don't. We're so dependent on you for everything. So we ask us, yes, that you would give us this day our daily bread, but also that you would lead us into places that we need to be. We agree together, God, that this is our church. It's not about one guy on a stage. It's not about one life group. It's not about a worship moment. It's about a body of believers that love selflessly, give hope, full hope to people who are hurting and love this city well. We just want you to lead us, provide all that we need. We agree together this day, God, that we will keep this in our mind. And if you have to remind us, you know that Christ in us can help us with that. So we thank you, Jesus, for everything. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. You guys can be seated. Yeah, so a little bit of an Advent recap. For three weeks, we've had um, some creative things happening in service to help us focus. So we had the first week, our special thing. What was our special thing the first week? Prophetic art. Art right here. Our second week, we had spoken word from Mike, who is not here today, but he did a great job. Our third week, we had an Advent choir, which was awesome, and so, in the poem today, which was great, amen, where's Paul, good job, thank you, um, so today we're going to talk about joy, so just really quickly, as we step into talking about joy, just a simple kind of definition of what joy is, um, there are these moments in life where things kind of bubble up in us naturally, it's not a created thing that we have to make happen, an expression comes out of true, genuine, oh my goodness moments, right? Joy is, is what happens when things at a deep level are where you know you want them to be. It's not just happy. It's not just ecstasy. It's not just something you like. It's something, and I'll, I'll even say it like this. When joy happens, the responses to it from people are noticeably weird, but we make space for them because we know they're connected to joy. Unless someone does one of those things not connected to joy, and then they're just weird people. You think about when you feel really excited, some of the things you can get away with. I remember watching a video. I'm going to call out a bunch of people today. Is Casey Cavell in here, or is he? 
he's in kids ministry. If you guys have not seen the video of Casey, he's an avid Chicago Cubs fan. When they finally won and got to, you can go on his Facebook feed. Um, people over, over 50, it's not face space or my book. It's, face, it's Facebook. Speaking of my dad, my dad, that's what he calls him right there. So, but he literally has so much emotion and joy, he starts to, he's jumping up and down and just starts to weep. Like an overwhelming, and Connie, being as awesome as she is, films the whole thing. <laughs> and, and puts it on Facebook. So, I think about, when I think about like spurts of joy, I think about Tiger Woods, his celebration is always one I'll remember. Like that, who knows that one, right? There's some other ones. Um, Steph Curry has one. I'm not a huge fan of his, I'm gonna be honest. Um, I know for me, the, when joy comes out, it's not, I don't have to make myself. I do know, as a church, it's something we're supposed to be good at, joy. And I've been a part of movements and churches where we've tried to produce it when it's not really there. And it's really confusing to see that. We had a church we were part of that had a set of rules behind the worship stage that as the worship team went out, this was the list of how they were to appear. And so no matter what, you were smiling. So like, you're just walking out and they're like, I can't do fake smiles. I never have been able to. Um, I remember moments where I had to sing songs about joy. You guys remember songs about joy? I'm going to sing a couple songs, guys. I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I got the joy, 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 joy. What's the, what's the weird part? So very happy. Isn't there one about the enemy coming to try and steal it or something? And if the devil tries to take it, I will spit in his face. Is that? I think it really is that. I remember singing one, though. When I really started to move into a season where I wanted Jesus, I didn't understand that you needed to be honest before him. And I had this pressure, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, to appear happier or more joyful than I actually was. And I didn't think through it. Like, I've got, I just, it was, it was the product of my surroundings. And I remember we used to sing a song by Daryl Evans, who's an old school guy in here. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? Real old school Daryl, called Trading My Sorrows, right? Who remembers this song? Who does not remember this song? All right, let's do a little bit of it. I'm trading my sorrows. I'm trading my shame. Can't look at you, Ralph, right now. I'm laying them down for the joy of the Lord. We say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord. So the interesting thing about that song for me is every time I sang it, I literally never had joy. And truthfully, when I would sing it, it felt so awkward to me, but I didn't know I could even talk about that. I sang it at the, at the world's largest Church of God church in Tennessee at the time, and they had choirs that were beautiful, and I always had this strange thing that happened in me that when I sang it, I didn't feel joy. And it felt worse than just not singing it, to sing it. Like I was highlighting some emptiness inside of me. Does that make sense? 
This is literally my story with singing some songs like this and feeling like I had to. Instead of really seeing who I was when I started and giving space to interact with Jesus about that. I just felt like, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be happy because I'm going to be happy, right? Like, Pharrell, like I'm, I wanted to sing that song, but that's not joy. It's just happy. But maybe we can still sing it now? No, I'm not going to sing it. So, so as Christians, we can't just tell people how to be joyful. We can't just teach a greeting team how to appear like they're happy when they're inviting people. We have to legitimately have joy. And I guess the best news about that is it's not our job to produce the joy, right? And so if you're not feeling joy right now and all the Christian voices in your past saying, well, if you're a Christian, you should have joy, they don't really understand it either. They don't really understand what God's trying to do in that, right? And so it's his job. So, so joy rightly received and given is, and we're going to walk through Isaiah again, is this idea that you recognize your extreme brokenness and you actually are okay with it, that you are completely dependent on something else for joy. You recognize the depravity in your heart, which is there, and, and if it's not there in you, it's impossible for Jesus to be your Savior. If you're not at a spot where you can initially recognize your brokenness, and it's not an indictment against you, it's an admission so that Jesus can come in and be that for you. And when you can finally start to grasp that he is the one that produces righteousness in you, it makes all the difference. So if you have a bad day, it's okay. You don't have to fake it. Don't fake it here. I mean, and also don't, like, purposefully be the opposite all the time. Like, that's not fun. Like, I'm in a bad mood, and you're going to deal with it. Like, you, don't, you don't have to do all that, right? You can still be polite, but you don't have to walk around being fake, right? Christians actually don't need to be fake. People need to see us walk through real emotion and struggle through things. I don't know why I'm saying like Prince right now. <laughs> People need to see us in real settings, deal with real emotions, and be interactive with a real Jesus that provides everything for us. People are sick of our own righteousness, our attempts at righteousness. Most Christians I know don't understand that you're not the one who produces righteousness. To be in right standing with God. You're not the one who makes that happen. But the moments you try and do it are the moments you'll feel most empty. It's like singing Trading My Sorrows while keeping all your sorrows. It's really sad. And I honestly didn't even know how to do that. So it wasn't like I knew what, I didn't know what to do. I'm supposed to sing this song. So I'm going to read to you from Isaiah again. We've been in Isaiah for three weeks. Really complex text. Isaiah is not psalm reading. It's not your 31 Proverbs for the month devotional stuff. You have to understand biblical concepts to read the book of Isaiah. You have to know what it's about. It's pointing towards Jesus, the Messiah. It's written 800 years before he comes, 700 to 800. It's talking about things well before they happen. So when you hear things in Isaiah that are being read that sound like Jesus, it makes it that much more beautiful because it's that much more before him, right? Specifically here, in chapters 56 through 59, we see that his people, God's people, are struggling to accomplish what he's asking them to accomplish. And I'm not sure why it happens like this in the Old Testament, but it seems a lot like God is asking us to do something that we can't do, which is what happens all throughout history. And then he provides the answer. It's almost like he's allowing us to walk through what he, he already knows, 
so that we, he can create a dependency in us. So that he can create this, okay. Because in chapter 60, he explains to them, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you righteous. Which is like, well, you probably should have done that earlier. In chapter 61, after he says, I'm going to make you righteous, it talks about how. It gives them the how they will become righteous. And it ends in this glorious joy that are like spurts of excitement that aren't made up. In fact, whenever you see the Messiah talked about in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, there's always shortly after some type of rejoicing, right? Like that's interesting. Messiah mentioned rejoicing following. So I'm going to read you Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 real, real quick first. You guys can follow along with me. <laughs> Got to do it. Anybody know Wendell Cooley's version? You all do. Oh, you in the back, Josh, like, yes, sir. Anybody know that? Can somebody just start it real quick? No? Right. I think I've done this before, so I feel bad doing it again. I'll just read it. <laughs> the spirit of the... It's hard for me to do it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's beautiful. That's really, just, just from a distance without over-Christianizing it, that's a good thing to see that happen. To see that happen or come to pass would be a beautiful thing. So really quickly, right off the bat, we understand that the how he's going to do it isn't who he is. And we know that this is speaking of Jesus specifically because of what Jesus says in Luke 4, 16 through 21. So you can pull that up real quick. This is much later. This is while Jesus is walking around. Jesus typically goes into synagogues. He's invited to speak. It's very different then. He'd give a, he'd get a moment to share as a rabbi. So he stands up in one, and this scene unfolds 800 years or so later. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he, just awesome, he rolled the scroll up and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He's like, I mean, that's like their version of a mic drop is a scroll drop. <laughs> like, I'm just going to sit over here. And then he says this. He began to say to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What's he saying? I am what that was talking about, right? That's crazy. Jesus is what that was talking about. That's simply good. And really quickly, because we have a social-oriented church, and there's a, a social movement happening in Christianity. I think it should. I think we should stand for what we believe. I think we should stand for, with the victim. I think we should stop being safe Christians and stand behind walls and stop talking about tough things. I think we should stand up and talk about the issues. And that is a deep part of, of the calling. But specifically here, 
This is talking about a deeper thing. There's six things mentioned that I just read through or have been read through twice. Brokenness in prison. And you can tell it's talking about a deeper thing if you look at the clues around the passage. It talks about, it doesn't talk about here are the material possessions that you'll get. He calls, talks about if this happens, this will produce oaks of righteousness and salvation. It's pointing to a deeper thing that Jesus would come to do. That Jesus would come not just to find poor people and make them not poor anymore. That wouldn't be enough. Now that would be good and that would be work that we need to do and we need to be a part of that. But that wouldn't be enough. So the social gospel without the actual gospel of Jesus and salvation is really impotent. It's worth doing no matter what I think, but it's not the end. Because the end is that Jesus would come and do this. And he did in some ways, but he still needs to in some ways. And he still needs to in you in a lot of ways. And the people around you, and the poor that that are actually poor, and the poor in spirit that live in America. I had a conversation with a guy this past week, fascinating guy, not a part of our church that reached out to me. And he's extremely wealthy. And he started talking honestly about how it's so hard to have money and be in need of Jesus. It's so hard because you have these comforts provided that you don't really have to bump into. And and just a heads up to all of you in here, even if it's hard for you to find your next meal, we're still very rich. We're all very rich. If I have access to running water somewhere, if I I have, I don't have a car anymore, and I'm not bragging about that, like, I enjoy riding a bike. I have a bike. There are people who would give up a family member for a a bike to provide for their family to get to a job. Like legitimately, not even joking in some places. We are rich beyond belief, right? Like we are rich. How much harder is it for us to realize that while we're not financially poor in a lot of ways, our hearts are a lot of times very poor. And we can just skate through life like being poor in spirit, not even noticing it, being empty inside. We, we did our Advent book this week with our kids, which I recommend you all do that with your families. It's literally become one of our favorite things we do as a family. And we read the one, and I'm sure some of you did, that talks about, the question was, would you rather receive a beautifully wrapped gift that you opened and there was nothing inside, or would you rather receive an extremely ugly wrapped gift that had a beautiful gift inside? And my kids are, I think, still too young to understand. It's not going to be cool this part, but they were like, I don't get, I don't get that. No, I was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, buddy, you're smarter than this. You get this. Would you want to open one of these presents under the tree and there would be nothing in it? He's like, oh, no. No. Would you rather wrap it ugly and it'd be awesome? Yeah, for sure. I want that. Right? Like, I would, I would enjoy that. And Lacey was like, yeah, dude, you would definitely enjoy that. Wake up. Be a better eight-year-old. She would, she would literally say that. Because she's smart like that. She, would, she didn't care how we wrap it, as long as it's awesome. But So when we look at ourselves, when we examine ourselves, and we exist in a place where it's easy to be at ease through life, have what we need, be able to have jobs that we want if we want them, but be so depleted inside. Like, and you know when you're depleted inside. We can't fake ourselves out, right? We can't fake ourselves out. We can fake others out. But when that is happening inside, Is the Lord angry with you? Or is the Lord prophesying into you through the voice of Isaiah that he would like to rebuild the ruins, that he would like to be the year of the Lord's favor for you, which we've talked about before. That's every 49 years they would show up and people would be dancing and everybody gets their stuff back and nobody's a slave anymore. 
And people are ecstatic, right? That Jesus would look into you and want to do that, right? Like, it's a beautiful thing. But we have to let him do it. When you produce your own righteousness, it's just going to be empty. You have to let him do the work that has to be done in you to become oaks. Can you pull up a picture of an oak? I love that it mentions oaks in this passage. I love trees throughout scripture. We think that this is a real picture. And if it is, I want to go to that place. Because that is an amazing tree. I asked Bill if he got that picture from Narnia. Like if he went to there and came back. Because that's an oak, right? Like that's impressive. God's work is impressive. Even just aside from the spiritual connotations here, just that. That's a beautiful thing. I could sit near that for a day and just meditate on God's grace. And meditate on how God does things that I can't ever do. And if I could just get these three meetings done in a good way. But he makes trees that look like that and mountains and and he makes people, and he, he does these things that I could never do, and, and it just reminds us of our dependence on him, but that's an oak tree, and if we allow him to come and do what he does in verses one through three, which is his mission, to come and do that, then it produces, as it says in verse three, oaks of righteousness, not materially blessed people, that's great, that could be one of them, but oaks of righteousness that he made. And the product of an oak of righteousness that he makes starts to spill out into everything. In verses 4 through 9, if you could pull that up, it talks about what happens. These oaks that when receiving his righteousness, righteous not your own, start to have an effect. They shall build up ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I could just stop right there and think about just in my family line alone how many things I want to reclaim for Jesus' kingdom. How I don't want my kids to carry into their lives what I have that God wants to restore, that I might be too prideful to really hand over because I'm just afraid it's more shame. But the things that I want to see Alethea, Noah, and Nava be free from that I still struggle with only happens in the presence of Jesus with my dependency on him. Let me continue. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. Go to the next one. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. These are the ones being restored in verses 1 through 3. They shall speak of you as ministers of God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory shall be, you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be double be a double portion. And this is now talking about how that nation was received in the world. They were shamed, destroyed. But instead of that, you get a double portion. I don't know how many prophecies I've had that I'm going to have a double portion of something in my life. Has anybody ever had that prophesied over them? You're going to have a double portion of portionness? I don't even know what it means. <laughs> no idea. But it sounds great. Sounds better than a single portion, right? Especially if you're hungry for the Lord. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Scoop that in. Double portion it. Amen? Instead of dishonor, right, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, their land shall possess a double portion again. It's just, it's a good thing. They shall have everlasting joy. Man, that's beautiful. For I, the Lord, love justice. Another side break. Judgment is good. Like, that's hard to say. Judgment is good if you're oppressed, right? When you think of judgment in the Lord, don't personalize it so much and narcissize it so much that it's only about him being upset at you. But think about the poor that needs a, a judge. Think about someone who's been abused in any way, sexually, physically, physically, all of it. 
They need a just judge to come in and stand for them, right? That's our Lord. And he sees us as the one he wants to come in and help with that. So when we shun the judgment part of our Lord and say, God's not judge, I ain't judging nobody. In that way, yes, let's not judge. But in a good way, yes, let's judge. If people need us to stand with them and be like, no, this is wrong. It's harming you. I'll stand with you. When he says he wants to bring justice, it's a beautiful thing. He comes to restore, right? In restoration, there has to be justice. Amen? Okay. All right. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, my prayer for my kids, and their descendants in the midst of peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the offspring the Lord has blessed. Let's go to the next one. Actually, you can stay there. So, yeah, so one of the key things in that passage is that you'll have everlasting joy. That this Messiah being talked about in Isaiah will come and do these things in 1 through 3, and it'll have this impact in 4 through 9 on everything that things start to be rebuilt, and then everlasting joy is a gift in connection with this. And we know in Luke 4 that it's Jesus talking about himself. And in 10 through 12, we see them start to rejoice with the outcome. So you can pull that up, and that'll be the end of that. 10 through 12, and this will be the end of Isaiah for us for right now. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Again, you cannot. He is clothing you. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. He is giving you righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself out like, like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown up in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. Is that 12? There's only, I, say, I swear I did. I told you there's 12 verses, not. This morning he's like, I don't think you're speaking from 61 because there's not 12 verses. Like, you're right. It's a biblical scholar. So this picture to me is really life-giving to me as a man who is dependent every day I wake up and as someone who struggles to see how God could use me every week, knowing that I am flawed beyond measure, knowing that I have flaws just like you, and that the separation between us, there is none. There's a Jesus, and then there's us. I'm an under-shepherd. He's the shepherd. But knowing when he looks at me, he sees differently than I see, keeps me from this thing that I have to do to create what I don't have to create. So when we look into our hearts and you see someone who cannot stay faithful to Jesus, you can step back and realize that when God is looking down at you, he's not looking at that you, he's looking at the Jesus in you that can be faithful. So when you see this completely paralyzed person with fear that is evidently there and it's really there, and that's how you evaluate yourself, you can back up again and you can recognize that Jesus is seen in you by God, and he is not fearful. He's brave. He's courageous. Your eyes need to be on him. When, he see, when, you, when you look at yourself and all you see in, is accusation and, and hatred and what you feel feels like insecurity, and it's real. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That's the key to righteousness. Does this mean that you forget about Jesus for the rest of your life? No. It means that you throw every bit of your dependence upon him. 
He is everything that you need. T.S. Lewis has a quote that I want to read to you. It's actually found in a hidden letter. I love it. Talking about joy. It jumps under one's ribs and tickles down one's back and makes one forget meals and keeps one delightedly sleepless o' nights. It shocks one awake. My private table is one second with joy. For 12 hours of joy, I would trade any pleasure. I think that you would really agree with me. I love that. That's him. So him. Joy must be sharply distinguished both from happiness and pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and only one in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would, would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures in this world. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure offerings. Joy is connected to getting everything from him. And it's everlasting if that's done. Pleasure feels great when you don't have joy. And if you're choosing pleasures for today, it's because you don't understand what he's done for you. Because in joy, you can wait and anticipate. In joy, you can feel broken yet hopeful. In joy, you can know that it's far off, but wait for it to get here. That only comes with your dependence. Like if you could sell, if you could bottle joy and sell it, people would buy it. I think they try to in the form of crack and LSD and all of this stuff is like maybe our best attempts at like producing joy, right? Those things that take us out of our moment. But what about when God does that? What about when you have those moments with God? I've done almost every drug. And the moments God has done that in me, have there's not a drug that compares to it. But don't get me wrong. Like when I was doing drugs, I, I enjoyed doing drugs. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Not, I didn't like hate doing them. There's a reason I did them. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. If you can wait on it, if you can trust in it, if you can throw your cares upon him and realize you're not in charge of producing your own salvation, you can be fully joyful right now as you anticipate him. Does that make sense? So, a couple people in this room that aren't in this room. As Christians, we have to remember when he's already done this for us. My God brother, who's not here today, he was here yesterday for a party. 15 years ago, I got a call. You all know him, and I honestly don't care because I know him well enough that I share about this. He's already shared his story with many people. Um, but 15 years ago, Sarah and I get a call. My God brother's being released from prison, and he's in prison for doing prison-related things. He didn't go there just for like a vacation. He legitimately needed to be there. And I got, to get, I got to meet with him. We grew up together from the time I was a baby, playing basketball, enjoying life together. We both get to a certain age. I dive into what I dive into. He dives into some crazy stuff. Like his friends are, my friends are selling drugs. His friends are shooting people. Like he is a part of awful things. He actually goes away for a long time. I remember sitting across from him as he gets out of prison because he, he would even admit it now. He had like the form of jail religion. What do they call that? Jailhouse religion? Is that a thing? Nobody has any prison cred in here? All right. So I remember sitting across from him and thinking, I'm actually afraid to be talking with you right now. And I was like a good scam artist. Like I, I was good at not exuding fear in those settings. And I remember thinking, this guy is dangerous. Like, and he was. Like he had his previous people trying to come get him for things he did. 
And I remember thinking, I have, I, I'm, I'm about to do marriage counseling with this guy, which was even crazier. And I didn't know how to do marriage counseling then. Still not super good at it, so I'm just kidding. We're awesome at it. Um, <laughs> and I really had no hope. I, I thought this might be my last time to talk with Ryan. Ryan's a part of our church now. I don't know if you know him. Ryan Wade. He leads Campbell Ministries, a part of Recovery Group. He has a beautiful family. He's successful in business. He has identity in Christ. He's full of joy. He's one of my favorite people to be around. He's not going to rob me today. All of those things are good. I can look at his life and see clearly this is a picture of desolations and brokenness and captivity now not being that. This is a picture of what Jesus was talking about in Isaiah 61 and 53. This is a picture of what Jesus was talking about in Luke 4. This is what he meant, that he would come and do this, and that we could all be free like that. And then that we could become oaks of righteousness and be sent into our cities to see people restored and rebuilt. And he's doing it. He's a part of leading a recovery group here pouring into people every week. He meets, it's, it's awesome. He has a ministry called Hit the Streets. That's so gangster sounding. Like, come on. He's got Hit the Streets ministry. He's hitting the streets. I can point at this guy, Aaron. I'm sorry. I'm not even going to say anything about it. I just wanted to point at you. Aaron will share with you, and it's not the time, but if you want to hear another story of someone, I mean, am I allowed to share any? Aaron was homeless, alcoholic, literally like not many years ago, um, broken, completely destroyed. And all you have to do is be around him for about a minute to see and sense Jesus and to feel hope and to feel like you're restored. Who has Aaron had a good impact on here? <laughs> to be an oak of righteousness is to allow the Lord to do in you what he needs to do to the desolations, to the brokenness so that then that you could become an oak to the people around you, and then the desolations around you start to, and it's not you, I promise. Aaron's, he's, he's talented, but he's not that talented. You're not that good. You can't do all, Ryan isn't either. I'm not, for sure. I don't put myself in y'all's category at all. I respect both of you. I wish I was more like that. But all of us are called to be oaks of righteousness, not in our own doing. It will have to be him doing it in you. And it will have to be you stop being a narcissist about your sin. And saying, no, this is my sin, I'm a bad person. And Jesus wouldn't help me. No, I'm not, no, stop. That's not, his, that's not his goal. If you have sin in your life, if you have brokenness in your life, highlight it and then allow him to speak into it and allow him to give you what would then give you joy. If it happens that way, oak. If you create your own righteousness, you're going to be just like the Israelites. You're going to be just like the Pharisees. You will be hollow and empty. You will be crying out inside. You will do something crazy. You will not make it. But if you can throw all of your cares upon him and allow him to do in you what he needs to do, that's why he came. That's good news. Oh, what a savior. Right? We don't have to pretend like when we sing Trading My Sorrows that we actually have joy. If you don't have joy right now, be okay not having joy and allow him to give it to you. It's the joy of the Lord. It's not yours to produce, right? Don't produce fake joy. Don't be tricked into thinking you have to appear better than you are. Not for elitism's sake, just for you. Like, it's not sustainable, and it's actually not believable. When somebody's doing that around us, we all know it, right? When I'm in a church specifically with other pastors, and I know I've been in anybody, and they're doing things that I know is not real, it's like, just stop. Maybe this will draw a bigger crowd. 
And maybe if all of your worship people are smiling and never upset, maybe that does. I don't even know what that does, I'll be honest. But maybe it doesn't. And maybe it actually hinders the true work of God. Because maybe instead of there's a bunch of happy people in your church, there's a bunch of people mourning about something. And they need to know there's space for that. Maybe there's somebody who doesn't have any idea how to have joy and they've been faking it their whole life and they need an out so that Jesus can finally do it. Maybe someone's so, so broken in this room right now, you've always hid and no one's ever seen it. And he's saying, please let that guy out so that I could be Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon him to preach good news, to bring you out of that, to rebuild the brokenness in your heart. That's good news. Say, come on now. Somebody say, come on. Come on. Come on now. All right. So what does that mean for us as a church? We want to be Isaiah 1 through 3. I would, I would love to see God do in people just so full of Jesus that they're restored. God, I would love that so much. I would love for our church to be an Isaiah 1, 61, 1 through 3 church, that all of those people know that that's why we're here. All right, but for you, if you'll just close your eyes with me. Be very honest about your heart. Not so that we can turn a spiritual trick today and pat our stats. That's not what this is about. So that Jesus can show you how he sees you. You know that he actually has joy about you. And that's one of the things that's most joyful about it. He is joyful about you. So really quickly... I want you to just label in your own mind and heart what you see in you. What do you see in you? Where's your deficiency? Where's your brokenness? Where's your desolation? Where's your captivity? What do you see in you? And then I want you to ask in relation to that thing you see in you, was Jesus good at that? Because that's what God is looking at. He can just breathe out. You guys can open your eyes. Can you pull up the small tree? One of the most baffling things about Jesus to me that will always be baffling is that he lives outside of the constraints of our time frame. So we always think of things, and when I get there, I'll get this. When I get there, I'll get this. He doesn't have that. He just, and I think when he looks down at us, he doesn't see, he just sees the complete picture of us. So this is an oak tree. That is an oak tree. Now, there's been times in my life where I felt like if I could just be that kind of oak tree, that would be awesome. Little, just, just to be on the board. Like, I am on the board. There's a little bit of oak in me. <laughs> Woohoo! But I kind of feel like through the prophets and the Old Testament speaking into the New Testament, that when Jesus sees that, I think he still sees the big tree. I think when he sees that, he sees that. And I think we see the little tree. Go back to the little tree. I think we see the little tree in each other. And I, I think we see the little tree in ourselves. And we demean it. When Jesus is looking at the big tree that you can't see yet, because he's not in our time frame, he's up here looking at what you're going to become, and he already knows you're going to become it, and he's leading you to it, and he wants to do it. And so, Father, I just pray right now that when we see other people, that we would not demean their treeness if it's just coming up. Because I know that you see them in their full oakness. And then parts of us, God, that are just breaking through the surface that we can't see, how in the world is that going to survive a storm? You see a massive oak. 
because it's your job to grow the oak. It's our job to just be with you. Help us to become oaks of righteousness so that we can see cities and people restored. What a Savior. And when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the strings of the Negev. Those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing, shall come with home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. He is going to do that. He is going to do that. His promises are yes and amen. He is all throughout time. He will do it in you. He will do it in us. He is doing that. We thank you, God, that we can trust in you and have hope and peace and joy. So, Father, I just pray your blessings over every person in this room, that we would receive our full identity from you and we would fully trust in you. And that we would search for you like the people in the Old Testament longed for you. That we would thirst for you and that we would only be satisfied with your fortunes. I pray for protection and safety. Pray for wisdom this week. Guide us in everything that we do. And thank you for this body that loves like you and is beautiful like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. God bless. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.